Hi and welcome to Talk Talk. My name is Kevin Aronson from Hampshire School of Photography and Talk Talk is all about photographers talking. So, you're new to photography perhaps and you're taking your first people photographs, your first portraits, your first headshots, maybe your first group shots. Someone's asked you to shoot some images at their wedding. You've got to take some pictures of the next door's kids. Basically, you're photographing people Today we're looking at five of my key tips for success. Five tips for photographing people and um, I can tell you, having taught lots of people how to photograph people, um, most of these aren't obvious to everyone when they first start pointing their camera at other people. (laughs) Uh, So if you've got to photograph somebody else, there are some definite things to avoid doing. And I've just picked five. There are loads more than five, obviously. But I've just picked five of what I would say are the more common things to consider when you're photographing people. So we're going to keep them fairly simple. Some refer to shooting people in a more posed situation. Well, you've got to take a picture of someone, you know, with their permission and they're standing in front of the camera expecting uh, you to press the button. And others perhaps are more candid. So images that you're taking, which more like street photography, or maybe you're capturing some candid action from people at a a party or a family event or a a wedding, something like that. Either way, they're two very distinct types of images, and when you're photographing people, really, they, they do fall into those two distinct areas. So one is posed, one isn't. One knows you're about to take the picture, one doesn't. One you can choreograph to some extent, the other one you're not. So the rules are different, and we're going to explore both of them. Five tips, then, for photographing people. Now, tip number one is possibly, is possibly, (laughs) it's one of those things when I see in a photograph of a new photographer, I just want to scream and beat my chest like King Kong and jump on top of the table, because uh, it's so common, and and I don't know why, I don't understand why people do it. But everybody, no, nearly everybody does it. And you've only, only got to be told once or twice and you stop doing it and you, you, you become conscious that it is actually something you're doing that you ought not to be doing. But I'm going to tell you what it is. And it's one word. It could be two. I think it's one. It's one. Headroom. How many times have I seen pictures taken of people when there's an enormous amount of room between the top of the head of that person and the top of the photo, sometimes as much as a third of the photo. I've seen some images where the headroom, the space between the top of the head and the top of the image, where the image ends, is could be half of the photo. Now, when you're photographing someone, you're photographing them, not the sky in the background behind their head. And, and why waste so much space given to nothing when actually the thing you're, you're photographing is, is relatively small in the image? So when you're taking a photograph of someone, and, you know, whether this is a candid shot or whether it's a posed shot, take time to look to see whether you're adding too much headroom to the shot. I know on my workshops, if I get a headroom issue, I make a big deal of it. 
And usually, <laughs> when someone's publicly embarrassed at one of my meetings for an enormous amount of headroom, they don't do it again, which is perfect. I should point out that there is absolutely nothing wrong in making any of these errors because that's the best way you learn. And I'm sure I'm going to do one of these sessions one day just talking about the whole process of making mistakes and how good it is to make mistakes. But unless someone points out to you what a waste of a photograph it is when half the picture is just clear blue sky above someone's head and actually the picture would be so much better if you'd either repositioned yourself or the camera or gone in closer or any combination of those just to take their head up towards the top of the frame i mean there needs to be in most cases a little bit of space but when you're doing headshots it's quite in order to actually chop the tops of the heads off if you're going in really really close i tell you what next time you're in a supermarket and queuing up at the till and they've got these magazines to buy for impulse buys by the side of the till mainly kind of fashion magazines and stuff like that look at to see how many of the heads have been chopped off just the top it's quite okay to lose the very top of the head not so good to lose the chin if you've got to lose space, lose it from the top. Don't lose it from the bottom. It looks weird when you take bits of the chin off. But if you lose the top of the head, that's fine. I guess the point is it, it, it emphasises that, that the top of the head is less important because the eyes are massively important. The eyes are absolutely key. They're absolutely fundamental. So you must have those in the shot, um, unless you're photographing for a dentist and then all he's interested in is the teeth. Uh Headroom, just get rid of it. Don't shoot big headrooms. That is tip number one. Tip number two is very different as a subject, and it's all to do with photographing people candidly. Photographing them candidly means they're not posed. You're capturing a real moment as it unfolds. Sometimes they know you're there, sometimes they don't know you're there, but the principle is it's a candid shot. And I have seen so many photographs taken by beginners shooting weddings over the past and they run around with a camera and maybe they've got a lens which opens up very wide, which gives them a lovely soft background, um, soft background bokeh, so the images are blurred in the background. And they just run around getting headshots of everybody, blurring out the background, thinking that is it. And it isn't because the shots on their own, super close-ups of people captured candidly, don't actually do very much for the shot. So let me try and explain. When you're photographing people candidly, the, 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 the key successful candid shot tells a story. The shot tells a story. It's got narrative. You look at the shot and you think, oh, yeah, that's going on. Or, oh, yeah, those people have just done this. Or, oh, yeah, this person's a greengrocer or he's a sportsman or whatever. The shot should say something about either that person, that situation, that moment, that scenario. It should tell a story. And if you're photographing someone close up and they are in the middle of something interesting, but you just focus on them and you can't see what's going on, the shot fails. And this is because people are so often keen to get nice close-ups, which is good, actually. People often, you know, many photographers don't get in close enough. And, that, and that's another issue, not getting in close enough. But there's the other side 
where some photographers, they're getting so close, they don't stand back and see the bigger picture. Now, you know, if you don't stand back and see what the bigger picture is, you're losing the narrative. And the narrative is what helps make the shot. You've got to see who they're interacting with and what's made them cry or what's made them laugh or what's made them look the way they're looking. So being prepared to just stand back and involve other people in a shot is very important. If your shot hasn't got narrative, it won't be as strong. In most cases, it certainly won't be as strong. There are always exceptions in photography. All rules can be broken. Daddy, daddy, daddy. I've said that so many times. But generally speaking, if it's a candid shot, don't just go for a super close-up. Stand back and see what, what's happening. See who they're interacting with, what they're interacting with, what the situation is, and try and capture the narrative. And if you do that, the candid people shot will have more power and it'll be a more interesting photograph and more people will like it and more people will respect you and you get more likes on Facebook and Instagram and you'll become more famous and you'll make more money and so on and so on and so on. But just headshots for the sake of headshots. No, it doesn't work. And if that's been comfortable for you, then you need to step out of your comfort zone. If you find it difficult photographing people in that kind of group way, then maybe you ought to try landscape photography or something else. Or you force yourself, because the best way to learn, we know, is to force yourself out of your comfort zone, get out of that comfort zone, and take the pictures you struggle with. You want to grow as a photographer, step out of that comfort zone, and do it every day. If you really hate landscape photography, do it for six months. If you really can't stand photographing children, do it for six months. If you hate, as I did, working with flash, do it for six months. And I'll tell you, whatever you force yourself to do, eventually it becomes easy. Now... Um, I went through, oh, I'm not going to get into a big heavy scene in here, I, I went through some prostate cancer treatment last year and I wasn't allowed to drink any form of caffeine. Even decaf drinks have caffeine in so I couldn't drink decaf drinks. I had to have teas which had naturally no caffeine in. And the one they all recommended was rooibos or redbush. It's, it's a South African tea. And it's an acquired taste. And I'd, I'd had drunk it before and it was yeah, passable. But I had to drink it. It was either that or chamomile, which I was okay with. Chamomile uh, and redbush, or rooibos. I'm not sure I pronounced it correctly. My, my apologies to my South African friends for my terrible pronunciation. But I hated redbush tea. I hated rooibos. <laughs> and every day I would be drinking this all day long, and I absolutely hated it. I can tell you after a year of drinking it, now I actually prefer it to coffee sometimes. It's so weird. You know, that kind of happens um, when there's something you really don't like or something you really don't want to do and you're forced to do it repeatedly. In the end, you end up getting good at it um, or enjoying it, which is what happens with my red bush tea. Uh, I can confirm now that I'm back on drinking caffeine. or I, I never drink full caffeine anyway. I drink decaf. Um but I'm okay now. Even so, in the mornings, I won't drink coffee. It has to be Red Bush or, or, or um, the other one, um, chamomile. So, headroom, headroom. Oh, we've done that one. No, we've done headroom. So, um, 
if you're photographing someone candidly, just see whether there's something in a shot which you should also be capturing which adds something to the narrative, which helps tell the story. Don't just go for a headshot going super tight and think that alone will be sufficient. Number three. Number three is a simple one. When you're photographing people, particularly when you're photographing groups, as you press the shutter button, click it twice. Double top, go click, click, double top. And that's because, particularly with groups, when you're photographing more than one person, it's highly likely, and I tell you this from years of doing it, that statistically someone is going to blink. And if you take two shots, click, click, you've covered it because by the time you've taken the second shot, they've opened their eyes. Now, there's a kind of rule here of numbers that once the numbers of the group start getting bigger and bigger, a double click isn't sufficient. And sometimes, if I'm doing a wedding with a larger group, I'll go to three clicks. Click, click, click. That way I can be fairly sure that if someone blinks during that shoot, I'd have got them during that point where their eyes were actually wide open. And to be frank, for very large groups, I will go click, 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 four clicks. <laughs> it's true. Or you can put you can put the camera on um, burst mode. You could do that. There have been there have been the odd occasion where even clicking four times, someone in a shot has blinked. Or maybe they've actually just changed, they've looked away for a second. Or, you know, you've got one face which just does not work. Well, the good news there is if you have any kind of skill in Photoshop, it's fairly straightforward to take a face from a shot where they're looking forward and smiling and pasting it on top of one where they're pulling a funny face or blinking and doing something else. So taking multiple shots gives the opportunity to transpose a face from one image to another. But generally speaking, you can actually solve nearly all your problems in life by click-click. All right, that's number three. Double top, hit the button twice. So we've had three so far with a headroom. We've had, if you're taking a candid shot, give it context, give it narrative, stand back a bit. And the third one is, if you're shooting more than one person, and actually it works well with one person as well, because sometimes people blink during shots, uh, even on their own double top hit the hit the shutter button twice now number four is if i'm if i'm controlling someone uh, in a pose shot there are lots of ways to pose people but sometimes you just want a simple standard kind of fallback solution that if all else fails you can try this and this is this is really simple so um You've got a person you're photographing. Maybe you're doing head and shoulders. Maybe you're going down to maybe the waistline, something like that. And they're standing square onto you. And that's not flattering. For most people, standing square onto you is not flattering. Particularly if they're a little bit larger, shall we say. So um, I try and get them to stand about 45 degrees to me. Left or right. I try both ways because normally one side of the face looks actually better than the other depending on when they're, they're parting is they've got one and so on and so forth. I mean, they might have a, some uh, some spots or some acne on one side or, you know, you just, you just try it both directions and see which works. But standing at 45 degrees is really good. So I'll just say, okay, can you stand with your feet pointing to that? And I'll point to somewhere to the left or right of me. By doing that, they're now standing at 45 degrees. And then I'll say, okay, now don't move your body. Keep it like that. Just turn your head towards me. And now what we've got 
is a is a is a is an upper torso which has been narrowed by turning through 45 degrees and now you've got their head facing you and this is an interesting this is an interesting moment because um controlling the head and controlling just how it looks can make a big difference for instance um, if they're older and they've got a few chins like i do if you can just get them to slightly tilt their heads backwards. Now, when I say slightly tilt their heads backwards, I mean slightly tilt their heads backwards. And it, actually, it's not really so much backwards. It's it's away from the chins. So, in other words, you're stretching the chins out. You're just you're just kind of putting a slight kink. And when you're taking a picture of almost absolutely anybody. If you can get them to put the minutest little kink, little 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 tilt of the head, it looks slightly more charming. Is that a word I can use? Don't hear that these days. It kind of softens them up. If they've got anything which is less than a, a, a soft, gentle look to them, give them just a slight tilt, and believe me, it is a very slight, it's almost imperceptibly small, if you were to look at a shot before they tilted and after, you would see, actually, there's a massive difference. One one shot with the tilt, the face looks more welcoming, more, more attractive, more trustworthy. And if you're photographing someone as a business shot and they just, they're just looking for that professional but approachable look, just that slight tilt, very, very slight tilt away from the neck. So the neck is stretched just a little to get rid of any of those extra chins that they may have, like I have. So I've got multiple chins. If I just tilt back very slightly, those chins either disappear completely or it's not so pronounced. You don't see it so much. You don't, you, you know, you, you're not, your eyes aren't drawn to, to the, big, the big sort of fluffy blobby bit under the chin, which is what I, I'm saying it because I've got it, okay? Anyone who's got it, don't think I'm having a pop at you. I'm having a pop at me. So that slight tilt works really well so you turn their body through 45 degrees get the head towards you and then get them to slightly tilt their heads very slightly back to reduce chins and and, and so forth so they don't look sort of bulky and flabby you know you know what i'm talking about you know what i'm talking about don't you yeah so 45 degrees and just very slightly tilt that head to get rid of the chins okay that's number four then let's go on to number five and five is supremely important when photographing people. Possibly the most important thing. Now, some of you won't even have realised how important this is. And others of you will say, well, it's pretty bloody obvious, really. But it is obvious. Nevertheless, I have seen dozens upon dozens, hundreds upon hundreds of photographs where people haven't done this. And the picture has completely failed when you're photographing people this is adults children it even works with pets and wild animals as well the one thing you have to get sharp in that image is the eye the eyes have to be sharp you cannot take a photograph of someone unless it's a dentist because then you're focusing on the teeth and you cannot take a photo of anyone without sharp eyes so when you focus the camera, you focus on the eyes. And if their face is twisted so that one eye is closer to the camera than the other eye, then you focus on the closest eye. 
get the eyes sharp and the picture works. If those eyes are soft, it just fails big time. It's a definite, uh -uh. it is. You've got to get the eyes sharp, which means that you have to know how to use your camera in such a way that you can focus on the eyes without affecting the composition of the image. So if you're taking a picture of someone and they're at the right-hand side of your photograph and there's something going on, on the left-hand side which you want to show in the background maybe, you've got to find a way of focusing on the eye and the camera may want to focus on the middle of the picture. So you have to click on the eye, press the shutter halfway down halfway down okay this is a simple that there are many ways of doing this and with more sophisticated cameras there are lots more sophisticated ways of doing this which will make your life easier but we're assuming you're new to photography you don't know what all the buttons do you don't know all the focusing options this is the simple one point the focus point which is usually in the center of your viewfinder little square and put it over the eye of the person you're photographing. Squeeze your button halfway down and lock it there. Don't squeeze it all the way, don't take the picture. Hold it there. Now, with that finger still hovering on the button, keep that pressure and now recompose the shot to put the subject, the person, where you want them in the frame. To the left, to the right, to the middle, wherever, top, bottom, anywhere you like. And then, when you're satisfied with your composition, you press the button all the way down and then take the shot and by pressing and locking you've locked the focus you've locked the focus okay so this technique is called lock and recompose lock and recompose and it's it's a common technique used by professionals and advanced amateurs alike so as I said there are other ways if you know how to uh, one way would be to move the focus point inside the camera to uh, wherever the eye is so it's sat right over the eye and lock it there um, you could have a camera which has eye detection in it and so on and so forth but lock and recompose will save you the headache of having a shot without the eye being sharp the eye absolutely has to be sharp if I've taken a picture of one of my grandchildren and the eye is soft I've been it and you know and my wife and my my kids will look at the shot and say, no, 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 you can't bin that. I say, I can, I can. No one's seeing a picture that I've taken where the eyes are soft and I just get rid of it. So you have to be ruthless. Get rid of the shots where the eyes aren't sharp. There we go. Five. Five tips for photographing people. Headroom, very important. If candid, number two. If candid, give context or narrative to the shot. Don't just go in super close, but sometimes stand back in and include other people in so you can see what's going on. Number three, remember to double top the shutter. Yeah, or click, 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 click. More than that necessary for bigger groups. Number four, get people to stand at 45 degrees and just tilt their head back very, very, very slightly just to take out some of the edge of their multiple chins, if they've got any. And then number five, the eyes absolutely must be sharp thanks for listening and hopefully you'll join us again for the next one talk talk is sponsored by the hampshire school of photography we have a training center in hampshire which is in southern england and you're welcome to visit our website which is gohsp.com and look at all the different workshops we run there for photography from single one-day courses through to one-year courses master classes inner circles private mentoring and so on and of course there are courses on photoshop and lightroom 
My name is Kevin Aronson, I'm a professional photographer and I've been behind the camera now for about 52-53 years. I run an online blog called The Photography Teacher, which contains tips, techniques and video tutorials to help you with your photography and editing skills. So when you combine the training centre, the blog and this podcast, I'm hoping there's enough material out there to help you grow your photography to where you want it to be. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Talk Talk. I look forward to you joining me again at the next one.